This is Fish and Fries, an American soccer podcast. I'm Andrew, and this is my co-host, Spencer. We want to bring you an American perspective on the world game. Welcome back to Fish and Fries, an American soccer podcast, as we get ready to bring you Group C and D today in the World Cup. Spencer, what do we think about these groups, man? These are some tasty groups too, Andrew. We don't have obviously like the flavor, the little fire of like the USA like we did in the last one when we were predicting them. Um, That said, we got some like interesting teams we've got some like big time favorites for this tournament we've got some other CONCACAF blood coming up we got defending champions uh we got dark horses we got a lot to dive into on these two man um i don't know how, how do you feel about these two groups these these are two of the groups that you'll definitely or hopefully we'll be looking back on at the end of it and going yeah man argentina france like those are two very important groups and then the way the rest of this is going to shake out for for us here. I mean, we, we go into all that. Don't worry. We, we've got all the information for you. We've got our picks as good and as bad as they were yesterday um, on the group A and B pod. But uh, I, I think we are, we are about ready to roll one quick update just on from a post-production us here recording the intro um, today, Monday, Christopher Nkunku got hurt in training for France. So France will be a little lighter in attack, to be honest, if there's any team in the world that could uh, could kind of sustain that injury and keep it going. But I know we do talk about Christopher Nkunku just a little bit in there, so disregard that. Yeah, and that's, that's the beauty of us, you know, coming back, making sure you guys are on your P's and Q's. We don't want to give you false information. So when you turn on France in their first fixture, and you're like, where is this Nkunku guy that you guys said is just, you know, a crazy depth option for this team, which is crazy to think that a guy like Christopher Nkunku, as you just alluded to, is like a depth option probably. But alas, when you don't see him, uh, you got this little nugget to let you know why uh, training injury, we won't see him. Andrew, we might not see him for your club team, Chelsea, either. So, yikes! Oh, even even guys not playing for Chelsea are underperforming. It's a it's glad that keeps happening. I was hoping to leave that kind of in the dust here of the first half of the Premier League, but um, I think we're ready to get going into Group C here. Man. Hey, real quick, man, before we just throw it to that, uh, we we missed it on the intro for the last one, but maybe we should just you know, throw it to the Chelsea Man City thing. You guys are probably like, aren't you Chelsea Man City fans? Like, you guys both lost on the weekend. Well, uh, guess what, guys. You can, uh, <laughs> you can call me, you can call it convenient. You can call me a homer, bias, whatever you want, Andrew and myself. Uh, there's just something else we care about a little bit more. So what do you, do you want, do you want us to be sad? Andrew, should we cry on this podcast really quickly before we get to these groups? Do you guys want tears? If you want tears, you're coming to the wrong place. Cause you ain't getting anything. We're moving there's on to a, the world cup. There, there's a saying we like to have when, uh, when playing Chell or something else, sometimes it's like, yep, well, first game doesn't count. My first game is in December. Chelsea will be starting their season then. I will not be acknowledging anything that happened beforehand. We are good to go. Hey, and in all reality, guys, uh, in all seriousness, we're when we come back um, right before Boxing Day, Christmas, when the fixtures start back up Ugh. for the Premier League, 
where we're going to go through a whole like second half of the season preview. I, I know it's not the true half of the season, but um, if you are for some reason a sicko that's you know not enamored enough in this big old tournament and you want to hear that Premier League content, sorry, we're gonna we're gonna slack on you a little bit for the next few weeks, but we promise coming later on in December we'll have a big old boxing day thing like i said where we unbox what to look for in the second half of the season andrew so we'll uh, leave that there regarding the ronaldo thing i'm sure you guys are like interested in our thoughts on that we'll get into that um in the uh later podcast when we cover uh, group h which portugal is in we'll kind of unpack that a little bit in our thoughts on that because we think it ties into there but uh portugal is not in group C and they're not in Group D, Andrew. So, what do you say we move on to these two teams and get the people what they came for? Spencer, Group C, as we move along here, what are we thinking, bud? Group C is an interesting one, Andrew. We got some um, familiar foes for us as U.S. fans in there, um, along with some powerhouses and some teams I'm actually pretty familiar with. And there's Saudi Arabia, who we'll get into at the end, who I just didn't know anything about, except for that they always suck at major tournaments. So we'll get to them last, like I said. Let's uh, start off with the big dog in the group, and that is Argentina, managed by Lionel Scaloni, uh, reigning Copa America champions over Brazil last year. And... Look, this is a team we obviously all know a lot about. They um, they qualified second in Conambol, only behind Brazil, who had a historic qualifying cycle in South America. Um, key players, these are guys that we all kind of know, Andrew. The, Lionel Messi, have you heard of him before? I hear he's pretty good at the whole kicking a ball thing. Yeah, I hear he's left-footed, I think. It's, uh, that's what the streets are saying, at least. Uh <laughs> But to go along with them, and years past, it's been a little bit of the Lionel Messi show, and that's hurt them at tournaments. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but there's a lot of other key guys here. I've chosen to highlight uh, Lautaro Martinez of Inter and Angel Di Maria of Juventus, um, two guys that really helped this team win that aforementioned Copa America last season. Um Injury-wise, they've got a lot of guys that have been carrying minor nicks here and there, including like Messi, Paulo Dybala, Di Maria, Juan Foyth, uh, even Leandro Paredes of PSG, uh, all kind of carrying various knocks here or there. Nothing too serious, though. Those guys all made the squad. Um, the only big miss at the tournament's going to be Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, formerly of Tottenham. I think he's still Tottenham's property, but he's on loan at uh, Villarreal. And he's been a big part of this team over the last couple of years in the midfield. So a bit of a miss there. Um, we'll get into a little bit about how they might replace him. Uh, but otherwise, this uh, this team, they're they're pretty versatile. They, they won a lot of the ball, obviously, uh, with all those great attackers and midfielders that we just kind of went through. Um, but they're typically going to run a four, two, three, one or a four, three, three. They will sometimes against like really, really elite competition, like, like Brazil, when they played them in the past, they will go a little bit more on the back foot and look to counter a bit more. And with those attacking options, they obviously are pretty devastating on the counter as well. Um, weakness. We're uh, really 
prodding to try to find one with this team. This is a team that hasn't lost a match in like two years, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but if you really want to get deep in the weeds, uh, center back maybe a little iffy. I do think it's a bit lazy just to say when you look back there and you see Nicholas Odomendi is a guy that's back there. He's He typically plays very well for country, though. Uh, my thoughts aside of him at like City or whatever, he's also he's always been very good when he pulls in that Argentina shirt. He's kind of more similar to like a Gareth Bale. I don't, I don't want to say he's to that spectacular of a level, but he's always plays better for country typically than club. Um, it's also outside of him a bit more fortified than in years past like Christian Romero from Tottenham is a really really good center to central defender and when you can get him out there and a guy um like Lissandro Martinez from Manchester United you're looking pretty good uh maybe wing backs a little iffy but honestly this is a team with very few holes Andrew and they are the second favorites to win this tournament for that reason um like I said before, their form kind of of late. They haven't lost in two years. In their last in the year twenty twenty two, they're seven and one with no losses. The only draw was to Ecuador, and they played a finalissimo against Italy a few months back and won that three nothing against a good Italian team. So, like, this is a really good team, Andrew. It's one of the favorites for the tournament, and uh, you're really. You're really looking to find anything wrong with them. What do you think? You maybe didn't answer, but absolutely spoke to my number one concern is you look at this team that hasn't lost in a year. They have all-time greats at, you know, Lionel Messi, and you've got great attacking players, solid midfield players. I think Emiliano Martinez doesn't get the love he needs as a as a goalkeeper. I think that's a lot of, a lot of solidifying stuff at the back is in having a solid goalie. But do they have enough at the back to finally let Leo Messi lift a trophy? Because that's really like, that's the level of expectations this team has. Anything else is kind of a failure in one of his last hurrahs. So I do want to quickly, before I dive into the whole at the back conversation, I think um, the pressure for this team, like you said, to win a trophy, that's it's win a trophy or bust kind of for them. That said, I think the fact that, they did lift that Copa America last year. Takes a lot of pressure off this group. It's not as do or die. They have Lionel Messi has that major trophy now for country. He's he's done it all at club level, but he never won that elusive international trophy. Winning a big tournament like the Copa America, obviously a World Cup would be bigger than that. But I think that relieves a bit of the pressure and allows a couple more outcomes to be maybe acceptable in with the Argentinian media. I I would agree if it was any other team than Diego Maradona's Argentina, right? If he was playing for any other South American country, I guess outside of Brazil, right? He'd so far and away be the greatest they've ever seen in paintings, you know, of him and everything else. This is the only you know, this is the team that has that expectation I think more than any other. For sure, and I'm not disagreeing that there are extremely large expectations on this group winning that Copa America in some ways kind of forecast more success for this group and the expectations will be raised a bit now that they have gotten it I think though I guess I'm saying maybe the media pressure is a bit less toxic than in tournaments past where sure 
sure. Messi Messi needs to win a turn. I mean, he needs to win a big trophy with Argentina. He never does it for Argentina, so he's at least got a little bit to fall back on. Now, specifically with the defense, like I said, the um the center backs they these are guys that play well for country. I mean, Otamendi's kind of normally been a lock in there um, under their manager. I think he probably starts for them. I mean, if it was me, I'd probably go Lissandro Martinez and uh, Romero. Christian Romero. Mm-hmm. But like I said, that's, that's uh, all three of those guys can do a job. Wingback, there's a little bit of concern, but I, I think this team has enough to make a really deep run in this tournament. I, I think that a lot of the pieces are falling really nicely. Their form's great going into it. They're battle-tested. They're an experienced team. They've got youth. Uh, they, they check a lot of the boxes. They're relatively healthy. Like I said, there's some guys with some knocks here and there, but nothing too serious. Right. I, I think this team has a very good chance to make a very deep run in this tournament. I love that. Hope as a, as a messy guy, not a lot would make me more excited, but what else do we got from Group C here, Spencer? So moving on in Group C... Uh, we have a team that I previously kind of foreshadowed, a team we're familiar with as American fans, and that is Mexico, Andrew. Mexico dun, under dun, Tata dun. Martino. Mexico is interesting right now. So at the time I did my notes, we did not have the uh, actual official squad released. So I had is a big concern for Mexico. Uh, Raul Jimenez. He's not been fit for Wolves. He is having problems with a groin injury, and it turns out he didn't make the squad today. That said, he still hasn't played a competitive game for Wolves in quite a while, so it's a big concern for them. That's one of their key players, one of their best players on the squad, at least on paper. So we are worried about that for the team that uh, finished second in CONCACAF. Um, it kind of gets lost in the uh, way, at least I remember it. I don't know about you, Andrew. They tied Canada in points. Like they only lost out for first spot in <laughs> CONCACAF, only off goal difference. And this was, I would say, in my fandom, it's the worst 100%. Mexico team I've seen. Def- definitely. Uh, they the were so uneven. Of. Absolutely. And yeah. Yeah, they were so uneven in qualifying, and yet they still were right there in CONCACAF. Uh, say what you will in CONCACAF. But, alas, um, some other key players for them that aren't is um, injury-riddled as Jimenez. Uh, Irving Lozano of Napoli, we all know him. We're all scared of him as U.S. fans. Um, he's been in pretty good form for them. He's... Not a lock-in starter for them. That that said, this Napoli team has been really remarkable this year. Yeah. So he's kind of in a, the best I can tell to relate to American fans, a very similar role as like Christian Pulisic at Chelsea, where he's starting an okay amount of games. He's a pretty often used sub, but nonetheless, he's still a player of great quality. Um, to go along with Edson Alvarez of Ajax, who's a really good in the midfield for them. So... It's a pretty good team on paper um, that typically runs a 4-3-3 in qualifying, at least for the most part. Uh, that said, like I said, this team's good on paper, Andrew. When you look at it, I see things that scare me. But we kind of mentioned a second ago, the qualifying campaign was really uneven and 
quite frankly uninspiring under uh, Tata Martino. They haven't looked that great over the last couple of years. Um, I would argue they kind of don't have an identity. I, I don't know what type of football they're trying to play and what style of play they're going for that's going to set them apart from other opponents. And that's been something in the past that at least, the very least in CONCACAF, um, they've had a very distinct style and identity that sets them apart as kind of the class of this region of the world. Um, so with that kind of leading into like more recent form than just the qualifying, um, it's been pretty poor, man. Like they played Uruguay, Paraguay, and Colombia, and they lost all three of those fixtures. Um, to go along with draws to Jamaica and Ecuador, they had a recent 4-0 over Iraq, which take with that yeah. what you will, but Iraq was nowhere near qualifying for this tournament. And they have one more qualifying, or one more qualifying, one more friendly tune-up game to come. They're going to play Sweden, which um, we hinted at earlier. I'm Oof. you know, pretty in tune with Sweden. I'm married to a Swede, so I watch quite a bit of Sweden. That'll lead into the next team we talk about in a minute, Poland too, because I got to see them play quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Sweden's a stout team, man. They're um, hard to break down. And if I, I don't know, I ha- I can't profess to know like what, Sweden sending to that friendly, but it could be a situation where they don't get a result against Sweden. Like right before this world cup, it could be a tough look for them, like leading right into this. So honestly with Mexico, there's, there's a lot of concerns here, man. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on now, I, I didn't have it in my notes, but, um, I know I've talked to you about this in the past, like a couple years ago, a certain player like really was scary to us as U S fans, uh, Diego Linez. He didn't even make the squad for right. this. Um, I, I, I seriously double che- I seriously double checked it to be like I must have missed it. As did I, and I had seen um, when I was making my notes the other day. There was like rumors on Twitter from random Mexican people that I just had to like translate from Spanish. Nobody like verified or anything, but there's people like I don't think Diego Linez is going to be on this squad, and I was like, "There's no way. There's no way. He's definitely on here." I mean, this is a guy for me as a U.S. fan, like. I was being told this was like the next Mexican Messi, and this is a guy that's going to, you know, torture us for the next few years. And this was only in 2019, 2020. And he's just, I, I, I hear some of it's political and it's a lot of Mexicans are unhappy that he's not going to this tournament, but mm-hmm. a weird uh, omission from this roster, Andrew. If uh, Diego Linez from years ago, Matt Miazga, you're shorter than me, uh, fame. Um, and yet, like, there's just been, it's a very weird time for the Mexican national team right now. They have these, like, stalwarts, and, like, honestly, I think of them as, like, you know, Star Wars villains, kind of, with, like, Guillermo Ochoa, um, Andres Guardado, right? Guys were even, like, Hector Moreno to a point where when those guys line up on the field, I assume for the U.S., right, just in that mindset, it's not going to go well. And they're aging out, and there's not really an heir apparent stepping in, right? I think Edson Alvarez is a great central defensive midfielder. I'm not afraid of him like I am with Guardado hitting a left-footed shot, and all of a sudden we're screwed, right? There's not somebody in goal sitting there waiting where I'm going, I don't know what we're going to have to do to get it past Ochoa today, right? I mean, how many games has it just been where we don't even know that that's the case? Yeah, bringing up the uh, the proverbial Matt Miazga, you're too short to ride this ride, uh, a taunting there. Um, but yeah, like 
they've had Mexico's had a really hard time. It feels like kind of bringing up that next group, right, to replace the Ochoas and the Guardados and even like the Nestor Arajos, right, or Hector Ara- Hector Narajo, um, and those type of guys where there's this gap. They have they still have very good players, right? They're still producing like replacement level players for the Mexican national team, but outside of Edson Alvarez, like. I and like Raul Jimenez hasn't kind of been what we thought he was going to be. Um, who like and uh, Irving Lozano, who you talked about there, I'm not sure where the team kind of goes from this. So I think it's interesting. They're they're a team that's kind of known for making it out of the group and losing, and then first knockout round. That's kind of been their mo over the last several tournaments. I, I think they're a team. The form shows me that that's that's not a guarantee to even make it that this far this year. So I think it's going to be really interesting. This they're they're one of the biggest things to watch. I think at this tournament is like what Mexico are we going to get? Is is this a tournament that Tatas like keeps his job out of? There's a lot of like talks there. They they were very unhappy with him during qualifying. I remember after the US played there, they were outside the Azteca chanting fire Tata. Um they're a real team to watch here, uh, and I don't think for relatively positive reasons, honestly. Other other than our own morbid curiosity, who would love nothing more than to watch it crash and burn a little bit. Um kind of brings us to our to my like one burning question here is um although we haven't talked about Canada yet and I guess you know Costa Rica who do you think makes it the farthest in this tournament out of CONCACAF well I am going to as a expert analyst would I'm going to defer on this a little bit because I'm not going to give away too much of my predictions later but I will tell you that I don't believe that it's going to be this Mexican team. Um, in tournaments past, you would say that this is a team that's kind of the you know flag bearer for CONCACAF. They're typically our best performing team in major tournaments. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case this year, Andrew. There's a lot of things that concern me about this Mexican team, and I think one of these other teams will go further than them when this tournament starts up. That's a star spangled answer. If I've ever heard one, um, let us get into kind of the rest of this group, Spencer, what else do we got here in group C next up? We have Poland, Andrew and Poland, as I referenced referenced before, uh, I got to see Poland. They actually qualified by beating my second national team, Sweden in a playoff. Um, Two nothing, and they looked pretty impressive in that playoff. Andrew, um, we have done pretty good on names so far, but if you think Spanish names and Middle Eastern names are tough, <laughs> uh, try some of these Polis ones. But I'm going to give it my best go here. They are managed by Cheshaw Michinevich. <sighs> oh, oh nail it! Nope, nail it. Michniewicz. Michniewicz. <laughs> uh, oh, that's close enough. Uh, you can Google. Stay for the name pronunciation. <laughs> you can Google it if you would like a better idea. And if you can do it better than me, then you can tweet me and tell, like just tell me how much of an idiot I am. Um, so that is their manager. He is Polish. If you couldn't tell by Mitch the name. Nowitz, I'm gonna throw Mitch. I'm gonna throw my hat in the name. My hat in the ring is 
Mitchnewich. That first name, they've got uh, letters with crossed out, and it starts with a CZ. Not hey, even worth trying. That's good enough for me, buddy. Mitchnewich, sure, let's go with it. Uh, we're rocking with it. It is now. Anyway, though, uh, <laughs> Mr. Mitchnewich, uh, he's managed them to a pretty good qualification campaign, you got to say. Um, they obviously are here, which is not something that's always a lock for Poland. And uh, they're here largely based to their big, big key player. Uh, perhaps you've heard of him, Mr. Robert Lewandowski. Talk about a mispronunciation. Lewandowski. But, um, <laughs> he's here, obviously uh, famous of his time at Bayern, now at Barcelona, and still bagging goals. Not enough to get them out of the Champions League uh, group stage, but uh, nonetheless. They've also got some other good players, though, Andrew. Um, kind of in years past, they've had that goal-scoring machine in Lewandowski and not a lot around him. They bring some good guys here with... Um, Piotr Zielinski, in particular, of Napoli, in really good form this year. He's a playmaker that can get Lewandowski those goal opportunities that sometimes they haven't been able to manufacture for him. He's getting service more so than in years past. Um, they're also getting some goals picked up by other guys, too. So this is a deeper Polish team than we're more like used to seeing in the past, uh, along with Wojciech Chesney from Juventus between the sticks. He's a very good goalkeeper, uh, world-class goalkeeper that despite Juventus's uneven form right now, they he's he's always been kind of a good stalwart at the back for them. Injury-wise, they're missing a little bit. Um, midfielder Jakob Moder from Brighton. He's a guy that was in the squad quite a bit, not always starting, but typically at least in and around the squad. Uh, he started in that playoff against Sweden. Uh, he's not going to make it through injury, uh, along with backup goalkeeper. And man, I know this guy, but trying to pronounce this name, if you thought the manager was bad, Bart Lome Dragowski of Spezia. He's the backup keeper. We probably weren't, weren't really going to see him unless uh, Chesney sustained an injury, but I do particularly remember him being a like stalwart. Like I would sign him a lot, like a couple FIFAs ago <laughs> as a young goalkeeper. So this a is little basically ex- just us reliving career mode sometimes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's turning into that, but he won't be yeah. there. Um, but like I said, I, I don't think we were going to see him unless Chesney had a knock or something at some point. Play style, they're really versatile, Andrew. Um, they tend to go with a more counterattacking approach, uh, typically three or five at the back, and not play super defensive, but they aren't necessarily going to dictate possession, but they've been very good at kind of counterpunching. Um, the game against Sweden that I'm referencing, they kind of that's sweden's mo more or less sweden's in a little bit of a weird spot which we don't have to get into them they're not in the world cup but um they typically are kind of a counter-attacking team it's kind of a weird fixture but um poland never looked particularly threatened in that game and they looked like the better team over the whole fixture so they're a little versatile. They'll probably try a couple different things it'll be interesting to see what they do against like a saudi arabia who we'll talk about next um where they probably will have a bit more of the ball, but we'll we'll see. We'll get to that. Weakness-wise, they aren't obviously a perfect team. Um, I've said they're better than years past for sure uh, with like attacking support for Lewandowski, but that said, um, in years past, that was you know not enough to make tournaments. They've made the tournament now. Obviously, is there enough to you know 
make noise at a tournament. That's a kind of two completely different things to me. Um, also, the defense has taken some bad hammerings against like really top, top opposition when they've been playing in UEFA. Um, they've like been, I think they're in group A in the in the um, Nations League, I do believe. So they've been playing some good teams like Belgium and uh, the Netherlands and stuff. And they've had some bad results mixed in there where they've been a little leaky for goals. This group, they outside of um, Argentina, obviously, these teams are a bit more manageable than some of those like top European oppositions. So we'll see. I think they're more in their lane. So they might have enough for that. But if they want to go far in this tournament, they're going to need that defense to tighten up a bit. Um, as far as recent, recent form, like I said, they were in the Nations League. Um, they've only got one win in their last five, three losses in those five. But um, like I said, that's against high quality opposition, Belgium and the Netherlands. Um, so not particularly worrying if I'm a Polish fan here, um, but nonetheless, not exactly flying high going into this tournament, Andrew. Yeah. And uh, I got to say before, before we ask the, uh, the burning question, um, my favorite Polish name, I've got to say, is Matty Cash, who I was shocked to see on here as a Polish defender. Um, gotta love when somebody finds a uh, a grandparent or somebody coming over from one other country. Uh, I know the U.S. benefits from that, but I was just scrolling down the roster and it goes uh, Szczesny, Skorupski, Bednarik, Glick, Matty Cash, and then Jakub Kuifor. And I was like, oh, uh, one of these things is not like the other. Well, welcome to my life when, like, I obviously was rooting for Sweden to win that fixture, and I, like, remember right before I'm looking at, like, the Polish squad, and I'm like, I, I think the game before, I God, I can't remember who they played to beat to get to, because it was, like, two uh, legs. You had to beat somebody, and then you got to a final against Sweden. Or actually, I think they were the ones that got the draw because of the whole Russia thing. They were supposed to play Russia. Anyway, n- nonetheless, I remember looking at the squad before the game and being like, since when the hell is Matty Cash Polish? Like, when did that happen? <laughs> I think I remember hearing, like, after they qualified, I heard a story of, like, it's literally, like, one of his grandparents is, like, off off the boat from Poland to the UK. So, wasn't going to see uh, with the fullback depth that we if talked about. If he would have known about all those injuries. If he would have known about all those injuries, Matty Cash. had a shot. But, yeah, he's also... Uh, <laughs> my uh my key players were i tried to limit to like two or three but he's also a big player on this team he's definitely gives them a lot of depth on that wing a very high quality player and they can drive offense off that wing more than they could with some generic polish dude whoever's on the bench behind him so big player for them too and maddie cash for sure absolutely um kind of the big question here is um and you touched on it a little bit is this team has been you know, Robert Lewandowski and the Lewandowskiettes for years in attack. And now they've got really good players like Milik, uh, Piatek, uh, Zelinski. I've always really liked. How do you think they will line up to kind of combat that and get as many of those good attacking players on the field? So I think, um, as I said, they, they like to go like with a three uh, or five at the back and typically Lewandowski has been that like lone striker up there. Honestly, man, um, they're going to set up a bit defensive and they're going to trust their horses kind of to get them there. As far as the offense goes, they're going to trust Zielinski to be in that 
10 role and kind of more of a free roaming attacking midfielder and try to get that ball to um, Lewandowski to put in the net. Matty Cash down the wings if they do run like a five. Um, like I said, against possibly like Saudi Arabia, we might see more of that three and maybe like a Matty Cash is further up the field in that case, more like a midfielder than a wing back in that kind of system um but against like argentina and stuff i see him being a bit more defensive but honestly they're gonna they're gonna look for those big guys um zielinski in particular to get service to Lewandowski and give him a chance to put the ball in the back of the net yeah and i i think they've got a pretty good chance to in this group uh let's get to saudi arabia rounding out the group here Saudi Arabia. So this is another one of those teams like Qatar that um you didn't want to look up. So I did all the research <laughs> for you. And, and we um, appreciate it. I thank you. Uh, please appreciate it more by following, subscribing, rating five stars, <laughs> leaving good reviews. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and now welcome back to struggling through pronunciations with Spencer. Uh, we oh. move on to Saudi Arabia. They are managed by a Frenchman in Irv Renard. Uh, and they got to this World Cup by finishing top of Group B in Asian qualifying over the likes of Japan and Australia. Um, their key players, you're looking at winger Salem Al-Dasari in attack and midfielder Salomon Al-Faray in deep-lying playmaking role. And he's also the captain of the team. Both those guys play for Al-Halal in Saudi Arabia, who's like the big, big team in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, injury-wise, they've got a couple of them. Forward Saleh Al-Sherhi of Al-Halal as well. Um, my big thing in this team researching it is like 75% of them play for Al-Halal. So chemistry will be a strength of this team, you'd have to think. But nonetheless... Yep. Uh, Saleh al Sherhi is recovering from an Achilles tear, but he's made the squad along with um, star winger who I just talked about, Salem al-Dossari. Uh, he's just recently come back from appendix surgery. Both those guys make the squad, though, uh, which is big news for them. Play style, um, they are, to be fair, more attacking, it seems, than they have been in years past. Um, it's not a very high bar, but they are a bit more positive um they still tend to tend to set up pretty defensive though compared to most teams of this world cup through qualifying they were usually running a 4-2-3-1 um but they've experimented with a 4-3-3 which is really progressive for this team i would say <laughs> uh so i i think we're probably going to see a lot more of that 4-2-3-1 with these guys with the quality in the group so i don't see that they're not playing like Thailand or something like they would in Asian qualifying. So I, th- I think we're going to probably see though that more negative style kind of, or back foot at least uh, weakness wise. This team is relatively capable of keeping the ball out of their own nets. They do keep a decent amount of clean sheets. Uh, look at the U S friendly. Um, I mentioned a minute ago, they had a nil nil over um, somebody else that we were just talking about a minute ago. Not that long mm-hmm. ago. That said, uh, it's going to be attack. It's the same story as every Saudi Arabia that makes it to the tournament. The attack is just lacking, man. Um, They don't really have a cutting edge. They struggle for goals, and 
that's going to be the story is even if they can grind out a nil nil against all three teams, including our, including Argentina, which seems like a extremely lofty prediction. Um, three points probably isn't going to get you through this group. So they're going to have to find some goals from somewhere. As far as form leading into this, I, I referenced nil nils against the U S uh, they also played Ecuador. Uh, they had a win against Iceland and North Macedonia, Iceland, at the last World Cup, but their form has been really down over the last couple of years. Uh, North Macedonia, if you remember, they did upset Italy and keep Italy from going to this World Cup, but they lost their playoff final to go to the World Cup. So decent opposition, uh, not the greatest, not the worst, but they're, they're not losing. So I, I guess you could say that form is okay going into this World Cup, but um, overall, man, it's sometimes people say like, it's not your father's, whatever it, it, this is your father's Saudi Arabia. It's kind of this very similar to the same Saudi Arabia. We always see at tournaments, Andrew. Love to hear that. Um, the, the, I guess kind of my burning question here is kind of with that. Cause I know in my, uh, research for the Australian team, they really struggled with qualifying over Saudi Arabia specifically. There was a couple different times of there and, really the thing that Saudi Arabia did to them was like possess the ball and they kind of weren't ready for it. But then you're saying they are able to drop back. So how, how valuable do you think it is to be a team that can do um, that can adapt styles to whoever you're playing in a tournament like this, I guess. Yeah. So I think I referenced it a little bit just in that they've experimented at least a little bit against like lower opposition. I don't want to say what I necessarily feel about Australia because they are another team we'll talk about at a later time. But, um, but they have at least, that's really the only difference I have compared to tournaments past is they're at least trying a little bit to try new things. Like I said, a four or three, three is very progressive for them. I would argue they're, they're trying to round it out a bit more and become not so one trick pony. And we're going to try to keep you from scoring and maybe we might, if we get a perfect scenario, try to counterattack you. But at the same time, I'd say like that U.S. friendly, like the U.S. did not play good. I still never felt like Saudi Arabia was going to score in that game. Um, and the U.S. is a team that we sit here and we question their vulnerabilities in the back all the time. So if you're not going to go at a team like that, that's probably susceptible to a counterattack. Um, I don't know. They, they still have that kind of played scare play scared thing in them. And like I said, these, the teams in this group, I, you can't see them playing progressive football against Argentina. I don't see them doing against Poland or Mexico either. So yeah, maybe they've got a bit more in their bag, but I think we're going to see a pretty similar team to years past Andrew. Well, and where do we, I guess, kind of getting into our predictions here. If you think we're going to see similar things to years past, do you have them finishing on the bottom here? I guess we'll work our way bottom to top here since we're already talking about Saudi Arabia. Well, I um, (laughs) am going to irritate potentially some people who may listen to this podcast because we obviously have a lot of dual nationals in this country with Mexican heritage. Um, I really don't feel I really don't feel good about this Mexico team, man. And I think Mexican fans probably don't want to hear it. 
it was good for the U.S. to miss the last World Cup and have to deep have like a deep dive into what's going on with their football in their country. And the U S has come out better from that. And I think Mexico needs that moment because Mexico seems like a team that's lost to me right now. I I have Mexico finishing fourth in this group. Wow. I can't, I, I do have Mexico third. I do have Saudi Arabia finishing fourth there. Um, just kind of based on all the things that we talked about, just the talent discrepancy and, and that thing for the rest of the group. I assumed at least Mexico would pick up a win over Saudi Arabia, and I don't see Saudi Arabia beating either Argentina or Poland. So I, I did put Mexico third, but shots fired at the Mexican team. And, and even like, to be honest, right, as a huge USMNT fan, nothing makes me happier than like beating Mexico. The thought of them like not getting to a World Cup, while fantastic, hurts CONCACAF for me, right? Like I, I kind of, do, it's like, the second someone beats your team, I want them to beat everyone else so that we look better, right? It's kind of that thought for me. But at the same time, I love that you are burning down the Mexican national team. Yeah, and it's really, I, I promise you, it's not personal. It's just there's a lot of concerns with this Mexico team to me. I think it's something that would, I, I legitimately do feel that way, that it would be beneficial for them to have that big wake-up moment. And Finishing last of the group, I, I think even not making it out of the group would be a big wake up call, kind of for them. But if they're like right there, um, I, I'll well, go that's... ahead a little bit. I'll go ahead a little bit. I have Poland finishing second and Argentina on top of this group. And if they're right mm-hmm. there with Poland, they're like even on points and miss out on like goal differential or something. Then that's maybe not the wake up call necessarily. They can say, "Oh, we were right there in it." But I, I think Mexico needs that big kind of, you know. Hey, let's what, what, what's what's going on here type of thing, because they're a team that's lost to me right now, man. So, yeah, I've got it. Mexico, Saudi Arabia, Poland and Argentina pretty comfortably winning this group. I've, I've definitely got Argentina winning the group. I think I may have Argentina sweeping the group. Like if they got through with 12 or what, nine points, I would not be shocked just because I don't think necessarily Poland can kind of play with them if if. Argentina wants to pretend they're the Barcelona team from, you know, tiki-taka and just pass the ball around. I could just see Poland chasing it forever. Um, but, yeah, I, I I got Argentina out top, and I got I got Poland finishing second in the group. So either way, now, if you want to be as controversial as Spencer or not, we both have Mexico not getting out of the group and not trying to rely on a bias here. Man, it's a, it's just, it's a tough uh, time for Mexico. They're in a tough period right now. And, and know, objectively I, a tough, objectively a tough group too. Like yeah. in, in a vacuum, right. If they lose to Argentina and Poland, like neither one of those results are horrible in a vacuum. Yeah. Right. If they, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. And, you know, I, I think they're just gonna have a tough go of it. I, I think, you know, even if I am wrong and they do finish third, I, I think they might be a distant third man. And if they're not, if they're going into like that last match day with like really nothing to play for or needing like a miracle scenario to get through, I, I don't have the fixtures in front of me. I don't know who they play that last match day, but I, my point just being that if they're not even really in the conversation to advance, I, I think that's a big wake up call and that could be good for them, but we can kind of put that to bed as I've put their 
tournament chances to bet. <laughs> and let's move before on we've to, even kicked a ball, Mexico. In before the I even kicked a ball, before anybody's kicked a ball, yeah. But let's move Mexico. on to Group D, Andrew. We're running long here, so let's get into yeah. Group D and uh, kind of wrap this thing up. Um, yeah. In Group D, we have got defending champions France, Denmark. Australia, who we just kind of teased a minute ago, and Tunisia. Mm-hmm. Andrew, where are we starting with Group D? Well, well, we'll start where we've already kind of been talking about Australia. Um, I'm I'm a little worried that this teasing of Australia might be as uh, exciting as they get here. They're led by Graham Arnold, um, their manager. Um, if you think of the Australian teams of the past, like the people that come to na- like come to mind are like Matt Ryan, right? Their goalie who played in the Premier League for a while. And then Aaron Moy, I know you as a uh, City fan will know Aaron Moy. Those guys are really getting up there. They have some other recognizable names like Harry Sutar, um, but he's even coming off an injury. Um, and then they have kind of two young guys. They have Awer Mabel, M-A-B-I-L, who kind of attacks as an inverted winger. And then they have a 18-year-old Garang Kool, K-O-U-L, um, and he's ready for a move to man or to uh, Newcastle United in January, January, straight from the Australian domestic league. So that's kind of a you know he might be kind of an exciting player to watch and may kind of um, jump up on the stage here. <coughs> but um, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Their form, they abs- after out of the. Um, going against, you know, Japan and Saudi Arabia and a lot of those countries, they absolutely limped into the tournament here. They are, they had to get in through a playoff. They had to barely qualify. Um, This team is like, I don't know. I think of that, like Tim Cahill scoring for them. I think of them as being a very like feisty kind of will play football with you team. I'll be honest. If they are not going to put 10 behind the ball and try to run in behind and stuff like that, I I am very worried they're going to be embarrassed in this uh in this tournament. Um they just kind of lack they haven't been playing very well. They don't have really a recognizable style of play right now. They're just to be frank in a very weak qualification group, right? Where if you're a country the size of Australia, it's very difficult for you not to qualify out of that group, but um I am I I am worried about them headed into the World Cup here. So I can just kind of go straight into my question because I feel a lot of the same things you're feeling with them. When I think of Australia, I think of like tournaments past. Uh, you mentioned him like Tim Cahill and um, some of those other older guys, Matt Ryan and stuff. And even just like a young Aaron Moy where you're like, even, oh yeah, good. Going yeah. Here? Like when he was more up and coming and stuff and they were like never like super like the most quality team or anything but they were always scrappy and they had like a bit of a they had a bit of a like bravado to them um so my question about them my burning question is has the magic kind of worn off for the socceroos that we are is that all in the past now or like i I think you kind of somewhat answered it already in saying that you think they could take some hammerings in this tournament um is this a weak Australia that doesn't have any tricks up their sleeves at this world cup. I I think the tricks are going to either need to be Matt Ryan standing on his head, right? Guys are really good shots, shot stopper, not the most complete, like modern goalie, but if you're going to rifle shots at him, he can react and get you a save. Aaron Moy has always been better playing for Australia than he has for 
really any any other team. Anytime Aaron Moy plays for Australia, he seems to uh, put the Socceroos on his back here. But that's why I brought up um, Mabel and Cool earlier. K-O-U, I keep saying that name wrong, but um, as kind of this younger generation of maybe some up-and-coming talent that they can kind of um, kind of strap the rocket ship to here. And, you know, it could be the type of thing where we come out of here going – man, Newcastle United signed another great, you know, young player coming to them in January. Who's this Australian kid, that type of thing. If we're not leaving saying that, I don't know that we're going to be leaving talking about Australia other than they got ran over by France. Yeah, I I think we have similar outlooks for this team, but maybe they can have a couple of these younger guys surprise us. Um, Moving on from them, um, you said a hammering to France. Do you want to go into France maybe next? The perennial yeah. probably favorites of this group. Uh, what do you got on them for us that we don't already know? Um, well, that that's the thing with France is it is a lot of people you already know. Um, they're the reigning World Cup champions, and they won the um, 2021 Nations League as well, um, even though they exited the Euros to Switzerland on penalties in the round of 16. They have an absolutely loaded squad here for Didier Deschamps. Um, Captain Hugo Lloris, Kylian Mbappe, Antoine Griezmann, Christopher Nkunku, um, Usman Dizbele, Olivier Giroud, Kareem Benzema, Theo Hernandez, Lucas Hernandez, Jules Koundé, Saliba, Varane, Kamavinga, Xiaomeni, Kingsley Komen. Holy cow, any other team in the world would love to have, what, half those names, a couple of them, and even just a team that has Kylian Mbappe, right? They have not only the depth of talent, but the incredibly high-end talent of Mbappe, Benzema, Griezmann, right? I mean, Christopher Nkuku would start for most other teams in the world and Kingsley Komen. I don't know that they're going to play all that much. Like, that's incredible. Well, even like a guy like um, when they put their squad out, which is amazing. The graphic is like, I was drooling looking out of it. <laughs> but like a guy like Vassam Bin Yedder um, isn't on the squad. And like the U.S. Right. would kill for a striker of that quality. <laughs> so yeah, the squad is... Um, from a name recognition standpoint, very terrifying. Um, not that they're not missing some guys. Um, N'Golo, the midfield is where they're going to feel a lot of these injuries. They have N'Golo Conte injured for Chelsea, Paul Pogba injured injured over in Italy there, um, both of which I think were kind of the crux of their dominance in the last World Cup. Conte cleaning everything up, Pogba allowed to play his best. They're also missing backup goalkeeper, uh, Mike Mangyong, um, and then a late scratch of Presnel Kimpembe, not going to be fit for the roster here. Somebody they were kind of penciling in. So will be, I mean, if there's any team that's in the world that can deal with missing a starting center back for them, it's, <laughs> it's France, but um, they come in in fantastic form. Um, their play style, they can adapt to whatever they need to do. They're not going to use wing backs like they kind of had tried to before. Um, like Luca Dean, not called into the team. They're not doing as much with like wingers there. They're going to do more of the four across the back, but you know, three center backs and Lucas Hernandez or Teo Hernandez running up and down the left, right? Like look for some Benjamin Pavard as much as we all love to joke about Benjamin Pavard. He's right penciled in there at, you know, right back slash center back. Um, as far as a weakness for this team, Maybe some infighting. Maybe Kylian Mbappe brings that attitude of, um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to, you know, want to play here or anything like that. That he's brought up some of that with PSG, but legitimately, I would hesitate to say like the most talented team going to Qatar here, and that's with two giant injuries. 
yeah, we're definitely, it's another one of these teams. We're kind of like looking for holes. Um, if that's all you got in the wrap up, I would say one thing that it is of a concern to me. Cause when I looked at their initial squad release, you do, um, drool over it. Like the first thing I was like, the, the, my first thought was honestly like, are we underrating France? Because just you look at the attack and the attack is so crazy because the flavor of the month has kind of become Brazil and Argentina. Um, you know, I was like, are, are, are they underrated? Like, are we not talking enough about France? Um, the back end is amazing. You know, Hugo Lloris is at the very least a very solid goalkeeper prone to a mistake right. here and, and there. And but yeah. yeah, prone to a mistake here and there, but I, I'd feel pretty good about him between the sticks. And when I look at the midfield, I look at the guys on the sheet and I say, you know what, um, Chuamini, um, Camavinga, these guys are very good players. Um, Rabio, a bit more divisive, but these are good players. But my burning question about France is, are we one tournament too early for the passing of the guard in the midfield? Um, Paul Pogba has been such a key part of all their success over the last couple of years, along with N'Golo Conte. Obviously, I think if those guys were fit, they would be the guys that would be in that midfield, but uh, that's not the case. And it's a baptism by fire for these two young Real Madrid starlets. Um, they've passed all their tests with flying colors at Real Madrid so far, but um, they are not so experienced at this level. So is that maybe something that could be a downfall for them? Yeah, I, I don't see it being an issue early on in the group stages, right? Like, I don't, you know, like Australia is not going to give them any trouble and, you know, team teams of that ilk. It's once we start getting into the knockout rounds where these type of things really matter, where you might have to go up against a, a team like Croatia, where their strength is so much the midfield, right, that you can, you can absolutely lose a game in the midfield and dominate it everywhere else and not take home the cup. Um but yeah, there's there's no team. I would venture there's no team missing more at this World Cup than France is with Pogba and N'Golo Kante out. Um, I just they have so much attacking talent. It's almost like if the defense gets hurt, maybe we just score more goals, right? I'm worried Mbappe is going to run away with the golden boot or something like that. It's crazy that they can simultaneously be like maybe missing the most like the biggest key players and they still have the level of players they're able to bring in. They just, the depth on this team is it's insane. It, it's, it breaks your brain almost when you look at it, but they're certainly going to be one of the strong favorites for not only this group, but this whole damn tournament. Um, but let's move through the rest of this group real quick. Uh, we have uh, Tunisia and Denmark left here. Which one do you want to go to next? Andrew? Uh, I'll I'll hit the Danes here. We'll we'll kind of close out Scandinavia. Um, manager is Kassar, uh Love love these uh, pronunciations. Uh, Hulmand H J U L M A N D Hulmand. I'm gonna. This know, was an oversight by us. I definitely should have taken the like you know Nordic language team. I could have just slaughtered these ones. I wouldn't be looking oh, yeah. like an idiot saying all these <laughs> Middle Eastern Arabic and freaking well, I, Spanish. I wanna... I wanted to I, share the stupid. There's no reason for you to just like swim through this Danish team while I got to struggle with uh, all the other teams. So, you know, let's, let's just keep our, keep our talents separate there. But um, 
Yeah, that's their manager, Huelman. Um, this team is very much led by Christian Eriksen, um, Kasper Schmeichel, Andreas Christensen, uh, Kair, Joachim Anderson, Joachim Male, Pierre-Emerick Hoybier, uh, Mikhail Damsgaard, Martin Braithwaite, and even Kasper Dolberg. Um, they have a lot of high-name players. They really showed out um, and played well uh, following their good run in the Euros there. They've lost in the semifinal to England. Um, but that's kind of where they are. They don't really have any key injuries or anything else like that. Um, they've been playing well lately. Their play style, I really love the way they kind of set up as a more defensive thing and then use Christian Eriksen as more of a distributor to get the ball to Damsgaard and Braithwaite and Male, and they can, you know, push the ball up the field. And then I kind of have a sneaky thing where I think they might be the best at like free kicks and any any type of set pieces because you get the free kick put in by Eriksen and then you have Kair Christensen and um, Joachim Anderson and then you have also Casper Dolberg's very tall their striker um, so I don't know that they have a I think that's something they should absolutely take advantage of here um, as far as a weakness goes maybe just not an elite striker play, which, and then I think just overall, maybe athleticism in the midfield. Um, Say what you want about how good Christian Eriksen has been since coming back from that scare last year. And then like Pierre Emmerich Hoybier can really hold their own there. Right. But they're both individually in their club teams best played next to a more athletic run up and down kind of guy. So someone will have to do that job. And I'm sure they'll, you know, kind of figure it out and do it well because I think they're a well-coached team. They're very hard to beat. Um, and I, I really see them uh, hopefully doing well in this tournament. So my thing on Denmark is um, I'm really high on this team. I yeah. think that my, my question to you is going to be, my burning question about them is, is this one of the most, and maybe this isn't fair because, like you said, they made a semifinal of a Euro but is it one of like the most undercover, like not talked about sneaky golden generations in world football right now? Cause I look at this team, you just outlined a lot of the guys like they're, they, they typically play at like a three at the back and they've got three good guys back there. They've got Hoiberg and um, Erickson in the midfield. And that's, I, I think while maybe not the most athletic duo, um, that's a, a really good like holding midfielder and a really good attacking oh, sure. midfielder. They've got guys who can do it at striker. Um, guys like Domsgaard are a bit more creative. Um, they've got a couple guys that can bring a little bit something different to the team too, like on the wings. I, I think this is a really, really complete team that people just sometimes seem to still be overlooking. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I absolutely think they are. Um, your comments about a golden generation we're just all of a sudden in is a great way of thinking of that. With like, you think of like Belgium as kind of like the most notable like golden generation, right? We see it coming for years. Oh my goodness, it's here. Oh, okay, maybe it was a little too early. Here it is. With Denmark, it's like, oh, all all these guys are like the same age, and they've all been doing it together at a very high level for a very long time. Um, I don't want to make it seem like I kind of glossed over the center backs because having three high level international quality center backs. I mean, frankly, when you talk about France and then you talk about anybody else, it seems like we're downplaying it, but like is a major asset, especially in front of Casper Schmeichel, who is a great shot stopper. 
I think this is easily like an it's an overlooked team because when you look at just the roster, it's like, okay, I know who all those players are, right? But at the international level, that's such a compliment of just being like, yeah, I know who all those guys are. I can tell you something about them. Like, I haven't watched Damsgaard play in, you know, probably a year because he plays over in, uh, what, Italy, I think, right? Um, But I know he can run past you and cut in on, I think, his left and really put a ball into the box. Like, that kind of name recognition isn't cheap at this tournament. It's essential, right? And I I think think, uh, the Danes get a good draw here and can make some noise. Yeah, I um I'm pretty high on this team. Um I, I think they got a really good chance to make some noise. Um we'll see. I, I do agree with you too. It was like a weird type of thing where like Belgium, when you look at their like golden generation, we we saw it coming from a mile away. Like this was just like we all just kinda like woke up one day and we we're like, Man, Denmark is pretty good, aren't they? Like it just it, it just kinda was like a really sudden thing. Like we knew they had these good players and stuff, but just all of a sudden you woke up one day and you're like, Man, they're just gonna be in the thick of this in this tournament, aren't they? Like at the last couple of tournaments now. So we will see. We'll get to our predictions with them in a minute. Um let's round out this group really quick, Andrew. We've got Tunisia as our last team in this group. They're at their second straight World Cup. Um, what else do you got on them? Yeah, two straight World Cups. Um, their manager here is uh, Jed El Kadri, um, who took charge of the team in January when they hit a rough patch, um, and he installed a kind of default, uh, a stout defensive system where they'd been kind of trying to play this more expansive um, football. Kadri took over, and he was like, "Nope, we're shutting it back down. We're playing like a lot of these smaller countries are, and we're going to, you know, really, you know, shut it down." He did it to such effect that they recorded seven clean sheets in a row, um, including games against Chile and Japan, who've popped up here as playing a lot of these teams uh, in the World Cup. But no small feat. Um, They're kind of the definition of getting players behind the ball. Um, They lack real ability going forward um, when they play to their strength with just defense. Um, As we go into uh, fun name pronunciations for key players here, the one that was kind of outlined as the best – like creative player for them is L E S Shikri, E L L Y E S, and then Shikri is S K H I R I. So that's my best guess at that name. Um, some other ones you may um, recognize as Jan Valerie, who is a newcomer to the Tunisian side. He played for I want to say Southampton most recently. I'm sure he's playing somewhere else now, but that was where I remembered him from. Um, and then they also have Hannibal Mejbri, M E J B R I. Um, the Manchester United, he gets loaned everywhere and that kind of thing. Um, and he's a kind of midfield, he's a smaller creative midfielder who, you know, might be able to put it on, put in a really good cross or anything. And then they also have, um, Omar Rickick was the other known, uh, player in the squad. Their play style is the definition of four, one, four, one, four, one. Um, and they are ripe for the picking as far as like, did not score, may not score in this group. Yeah, so if you're a supporter of Tunisia, I'm sorry. I just I don't have a ton on this team. I I just my thing, my takeaway from the little bit I saw of them at the last World Cup was like man, is that like African Sweden like with like less attacking talent somehow? They they just I'm sorry. I hate to be like demeaning. They're just like a boring team, man. They just, they didn't have a lot to like set themselves apart. And when I looked through their fixtures, just like really quick, like recently I kind of looked through all the team's fixtures and it's just like, Oh, 
clean sheet. And there's something to be said for that. Like that's a good quality in a team, particularly at a tournament and like knockout football, like grinding out clean sheets is important. So my question to you on Tunisia is can they grind out enough in this group to play spoiler to some of these other teams that are more favored? Um, I I think uh, Tunisia's got to be incredibly happy that Australia's here. Um, that's really their chance to get like three points in this. If you told me they tied with either France or Denmark in a vacuum, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, just because they are such a stout. I don't, when you come into the tournament already having that commitment, you don't have to adopt it. It doesn't have to be something you're not really used to doing, right? A lot of these teams in qualifying play this expansive football, and then they get here and have to play against France and Denmark, and all of a sudden it's like, nope, 4-1, 4-1. We're going to try to get a draw here. But there's a world where they can get second or third in this where, I mean, well, there's a world where they can get third in this division by beating Australia and tying one of these other guys, and then it comes down to goal difference. So who knows? I uh, Again, not a huge fan of Tunisian football in general. Not very aesthetically pleasing, but results are results. Well, um, it sounds like you don't have them advancing. We'll get into the predictions in just a second. I do not have them advancing myself either. I have them in third, though. I, I think that they're going to grind out a draw against one of the big teams in this, either mm-hmm. Denmark or um, France in this group. I think they'll. I think they're going to grind out a random draw. I think they'll pick up a couple points. I have them third. I don't have them making it through. I have Australia in fourth place. Yep. And my big thing going back and forth is I think I think Australia is going to be kind of the punching bag of this group. Sorry, Aussies. I, I think it's going to come down. Tunisia is going to steal points against one of those big teams. And I decided to say that they're going to steal points against the French. France. I knew it. I knew you were going to say the French. Tunisia and France. I am a nerd when it comes to geography. They have some geopolitical relations, tensions, dare I say, in the past. I think Tunisia is going to be fired up for that fixture. I think that they frustrate the France, maybe get a nil-nil. And I think that's going to cost France winning this group. I'm going to go Denmark in first place, man. And France in second advancing still. Um, I do have. I thought I was going to surprise you by taking Tunisia over Australia, but we came at the same uh, point there. I do have France winning this group. I think even with the inexperience in their midfield, I mean, any any backline in the world can get overrun with that talent uh, in attack. I mean, like we didn't even bring up Ousman Dembele. He didn't even come up. That's insane. He'd be the focal point for any of these other teams, right? We would have talked about him for 10 minutes. But, like, that's the kind of attacking talent that they have. And I really think that um, that is going to show, especially in the group stages, when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, I don't know how far I have them going. Maybe just a preview. But, like, I I do think I have France, Denmark, Tunisia, Australia. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, I just... I don't know. I got a weird feeling about that French-Tunisia fixture. I just think something weird might happen there, but we shall see, Andrew. What a group here. We've got Group D. We just wrapped up there. Um, 
Spencer with the Denmark top in the group. I got France there, but just another absolute fire take from Spencer immediately out the gate. Please defend yourself. This is a tournament of chaos, Andrew, and I am simply an agent of chaos. Um, you know, I got wacky in the first one with the guitar getting out of the group and all that. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, not to tease too much, but there's like something wacky coming from your boy in almost all of these. That's I'm bold, man. History <laughs> favors the bold. And I guess, like we said, if uh, we're idiots, then, you know, let us know. Um, and, and if we're not, then I look like a genius. But you know what? I can take the hate, man. I can take the flack. It, it comes with the territory, Andrew. <laughs> Oh, it absolutely does. I can't wait to hear uh, hear about how good or bad we are at this. Um, how about no Mexico for either of us going on? I, I think I, we kind of referenced it when we went through those teams, but we're just going to alienate ourselves to all Mexican-Americans. So we apologize. We love you guys still. And like I kind of went into it. I, I said it a hundred times when I went through the preview. I think it's going to be good for you guys. I want you guys to be good. I promise I want Mexico to be good because there's nothing better. Don't trust a word of this. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I promise you, for real. I, I love when Mexico is good because Mexico versus the USA, when both teams are at a really high level, is just uh, chef's kiss, Andrew. It's one of the best rivalries in world soccer. It's a rivalry that I think is only getting better as the U.S. takes soccer more seriously and it becomes bigger and bigger in our country. And I want to see it played um, at a very high level, like I said. So, you know. I, I am rooting for you guys. I think this is going to be a wake-up call. I think this is good in the end, but, yeah, I, it might be a tough tournament for you guys. Uh, sorry. Yeah, and uh, not not to scrape over um, two huge teams that we have here with uh, Argentina. We both have winning the group here. Leo Messi getting ready to try to make a run deep into this tournament. And and we got France as well with a just a ton of talent coming through here. Um we're going to try to get out of here. We will bring you guys the groups tomorrow. We will have groups E and F. Um, two possible groups of death in there. You'll definitely hear our take on it. But uh, what do you think, man? Yeah, I, um, we got some, I would say, the group of death probably and maybe the baby group of death tomorrow in that podcast. So looking forward to it, man. Uh, be sure, you know, going back to it, if you're a Mexican fan and you – you know, are really upset at us because we're not having your team. Defend yourself on Twitter at Fish Fries Pod. Tweet us. Tell me that I'm an idiot. Tell Andrew that he's an idiot. We will be more than happy to hear your takes. Maybe Andrew, I'll, I'll let you guys know a little teaser for the next podcast. He changes my mind on a team. You can change my mind. This is a yeah, totally arbitrary thing. I'm, I'm a very wishy-washy person. You can brainwash me into whatever you think. <laughs> if you tell me that... uh Raul Jimenez is going to come back and he's going to be in the form of his life and he's going to bag 10 goals at this tournament. Damn, I might be brainwashed into believing you. So at Fish Fries Pod, give us all those. Be sure on uh, whatever platform you're listening to, give us a like, a follow, subscription, leave us a review, a comment, all hey. of that. that all, all that really helps us out, guys. So we'd really appreciate any help like that and uh, helps us keep busting out this content for you guys. Absolutely, man. I, I uh, will quite literally talk to you again tomorrow, buddy, but I think it's time to sign off here and uh, and get you guys going for your day. All right. We'll talk to you guys soon with groups D, not D, 
What comes oh. after D, Andrew? Alphabet. Tough. You got E. I had to pull it up and look at it myself, buddy. Don't worry. Biggest bunch e of idiots F. we got. E and F. We e got there F. eventually. Um, you didn't come to us for alphabet explanations, though. You know what we're going. Group of death and baby group of death. That's how I'm referring to them. So let's get into them tomorrow, Andrew. Until then, buddy. I'll see you then.